This message is called, Don't Poison the Church. Don't Poison the Church. I don't know if you remember, but um, several years ago, in 2004, uh, this place up in Maine, close to where, where my family is from, up in northern Maine, um, there was a, a terrible tragedy. Uh, Sixteen members of the Lutheran Church were poisoned one day after church, one of them fatally, by arsenic-laced coffee that they consumed during their coffee hour. Do you remember this? How I many of you, you don't remember? It was back a few years ago. Maybe I heard of it because my relatives are not, not living far from there. Less than a week later, the police announced that they suspected a longtime churchgoer, Daniel Bonson, that he may be behind the poisoning. But before they could arrest him, he shot himself and later died at the hospital. This is a true story. Investigators believed that Bonson, who was 53 years old, did not act alone. So they became very suspicious of one another at that little church up in Maine. There was a note that he left behind. And as they interviewed different church members, they began to suspect that church politics was the motivation for the poisoning. Can you imagine someone being so upset about something that was decided upon among the church members that they decided to like off the congregation, fill the, fill the coffee urn up with arsenic and see how many of them they could eliminate? What in the world is going on? That's crazy. Well, I'm, I'm not telling you this story to keep you from trusting the coffee that we serve. <laughs> That's not the point. I was reminded of this story while I was studying Acts chapter 8, the passage that we're going to read this morning, with the story of Simon the sorcerer. This is not Simon Peter, who we know as the Apostle Peter. This is another man. And he was attempting, or the enemy was attempting to use him, I believe, to poison the church, the early church that was taking off there. So let's read this passage together. It's in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 4. And I want you to pay attention to the word attention. So pay attention to the word attention. Hopefully it's in your translation. I'll use the the Pew Bible here. It's on page 1086. And let's read this passage together. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all of the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because He had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon the sorcerer, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Let's pray. God, you recorded this story for us today so that when we hear it, you can teach us through your word and by your spirit. So open up the hearts of your people. Open up our minds to understand what your spirit is saying to us today in the church. In Christ we pray. Amen. So if it weren't for the Holy Spirit and Peter, the church in Samaria would have been poisoned. Poisoned with a bitter poison that Simon was spreading. God stepped in to stop that. You see, Simon appeared in the beginning of this early established church that Philip had been part of, of planting in Samaria. Simon had a reputation. Simon was looked up to by the people. Simon was a powerful man in that region. The gospel of Jesus has now been declared and miracles were happening. This attracted Simon. This brought him to a place where he was now interested in what was going on. Now, we don't know that much about Simon, so bear with me this morning. Acts just tells us that he was a man who practiced sorcery and he amazed all the people in Samaria. Sorcery. What is that, you might ask? Sorcery is a poison. And it is strongly condemned by God. In fact, if you would turn with me in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy, we'll see from the very beginning of God's people coming together, there was a battle between sorcerers, magic, darkness, and light. And God gave his people specific instruction on what to do when coming into contact with sorcery. So let's look at this background. It's in Deuteronomy 18, 
starting at verse 9 through 13. It's on page 189 if you're in the Blue Bible like I am. You can get there quickly. Let me read this. Moses was giving instruction that the Lord had given him to give to the people. And he said, when you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his sons and daughters in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who who is a medium or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Verse 13, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. Blameless. Only Jesus is blameless. But we have been invited to partake in the life of Christ, to become Christ-like in every way. And it's a process that he is making us holy. Each day he's working on us. He's changing us. He's changing the way we think. He's changing the way we act. So we can be blameless in God's sight when we stand in Christ and in Christ alone. So let's think about this for a moment. This sorcery is condemned by God because Satan uses it to deceive people and to discredit God. Yesterday, I was up at Holden Days with with a family here from the church, and there was a magician there. And I thought, oh, how funny. We still have magicians. They've been here for thousands of years, you know, and he was there taking a $2 bill and making it into two $1 bills and then back into a $2 bill again. You know, with a sleight of hand. It wasn't dark magic. It was, just, it was just that tricky stuff they do. They shove it up their sleeve or they crinkle it inside the palm of their hand or whatever. But it was interesting. It reminded me. And I told, I told my friends, I said, oh, tomorrow we'll be talking about magic. We'll be talking about sorcery because God's word talks about it. And God's word talks about it for us even today. So even though we're reading about the history of the church, and this was a long time ago, there's still magic out there. There's still spiritists, there's still mediums, there's still people you can go and have your palm read, right? You can, you can go and do that if you want to participate in that. I warn you not to, as God's word tells us to stay away from those things, but it is still available. Some of the people that you mingle with throughout the week, they go and they, they partake in some of that. We have a, a grief share ministry that's, that's functioned here for many years. And, and many of the people that come out of the community and they're grieving for their lost loved ones, they want to contact that person through the spiritists kind of stuff. They want to they find if there's a way to talk to that person even though they've gone and they no longer live. So it is part of our culture. And so as a church, we need to be aware of that. And so this is helpful in that way. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus himself said, For false Christs and false prophets will appear, and they will perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. I like that last part of that sentence. If that were possible. So we pray that in Christ we are not going to be deceived by any of any of these false things, these things around us, these magics, these things that Satan uses to distract and distort 
the spirit world. It appears to us from the context here that Simon was a professional. He was at the top of his game. As Luke, the author of Acts, says, he amazed the Samaritans for a long time with his sorcery. So he has a long history of being a sorcerer. I was reading in some of the extra biblical stuff, there's, there's a rumor, there's something in the myth of Simon the sorcerer that he could even fly, that he was like Superman, that he could leave the earth, you know? So he amazed the people there with his magic. Verse 11 tells us that some people in that region even called him the divine power known as the great power. It's there in verse 10. This was the Samaritan name for Yahweh. Yahweh. They're calling Simon Yahweh. So we have a clash here. We have a problem here. Satan was using Simon as a rival to Christ before Christ and the gospel even came. There was already people who were sort of worshiping this man. They're making an idol out of him. And they were distracted from the things of God. But now Jesus has come. And Jesus has sent Philip, the disciple. And Philip is now preaching the word of God and preaching and bringing freedom to those who are bound by the enemy. It says evil spirits shrieked and came out of many because they needed that deliverance. Magic was powerful there. The enemy was working in Samaria. But now Jesus has come on the scene. And so we see a clash here. It's interesting because it says to us that that Simon himself even heard the gospel of Jesus and he believed and he was baptized in verse 12. Simon was baptized into the early church and followed Philip everywhere, verse 13 says. He became a follower of Philip and of Christ. You know that song, The Devil Lost Another One, I Am Free? You probably don't know it, but it's a great song. (laughs) Devil lost another one. He lost Simon, and he lost many of the people who followed Simon as Jesus came in to bring freedom to those people. But we need to pay attention to Simon's heart because that's what comes into focus here in this clash. Simon was saved, but he was not yet free in his heart, in his motives, in his desires. He was in the process of sanctification, which is just where we are. We are also in the process of sanctification, meaning we are being made holy as God continues through the power of the Spirit and with the Word to direct us away from things that are not of God and towards the things that are of God. Our worship changing us so that we focus on God and not on self or not on other powers and principalities, not on other magics, not on other things that can attract us, greed, wealth. Simon was in that process, as far as we can tell from the text. Let's examine these two men that are mentioned in the passage we read here, Philip and Simon. It's interesting because Philip was active in Samaria, and so was Simon. Philip was used by God to do signs and wonders and to bring freedom to people. Simon was doing magic. Something similar. They both were giving speeches. They both were, had many followers. Philip was motivated by a heart for Christ. 
or a desire that people would know Jesus and find the, the love and the salvation that God has sent Jesus to give us. So he was motivated by the gospel. But Simon, we find, is motivated by money. He's motivated by self. He needed to be changed. And as he's working his way into following Christ, he has yet to give up some of his idols. Philip's signposts, everything that Philip does, point to the kingdom of God. And they draw people to Christ and to the putting their attention on Christ. But Simon needed God's power to free him from these patterns and these behaviors that he had lived in for many years before he knew Christ. Patterns and behaviors that he learned prior to knowing Christ. Do any of you have patterns or behaviors that you learned prior to knowing Christ? We all do. There are ways in which we thought, motives that drove us to make certain decisions that were not of God. They were either focused on self or Satan himself was involved in in motivating us and moving us in certain directions. There are patterns and behaviors that need to be changed in each of us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of discipleship. This is the work of studying God's word and trying to apply it to our lives and make our mind new again. Renew our mind in the things of God. This is the process that we're in. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to continue to teach us these poisons that come from our self-focus, that come from our pride, that come from our, our need to control people, that come from things like gossip and slander, these poisons will poison the church. And as Peter shows us, they need to be stood up to. Someone needs to stop it. If you yourself don't, then we have to help you. Because these poisons, whether it's gossip or pride or self-love or, or any of the sins, if we let them grow and go and be in control, the Holy Spirit is no longer in control. We are. And the only thing we can do is destroy the ship, crash it into the rocks, We need God to be in control. We need him to be the one who is driving this ship. Now let's look at the antidote, right? We don't want the church to be poisoned by any of our behavior, any of our motives, any of our behaviors that we learned before we were Christian. We need to understand what the antidote is to this poison. Remember, Acts chapter 8, verse 16. It says that the Holy Spirit had not yet come to the Samaritans. So the apostles, Peter and John, they were sent to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And when they did pray for them, the Spirit came to the believers in Samaria. This is the power of the Spirit that Simon needs in his life so that he can become truly free from his past, set free from the things that had held him in bondage before he knew Christ. But instead, when Simon witnessed this event, he falls back into his old behaviors and he offers them money. He says, listen, give me also this ability so that everyone that I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. The issue is not as clear as it could be, so let me clarify it a little bit. 
It's not bad that Simon wants to be used by God to give the Holy Spirit to people who need the Spirit. That's not a bad thing. What the poison is, is wrapped around a good thing, is this bad thing, which is the money issue. The money, the desire to pay for it. You see, this is the proof that Simon is still under his old way of thinking. He's still under Satan's power, that there's still some poison in his system that hasn't been worked out yet. You see, magicians practice their art to make money. And even false prophets, we're told in Scripture, accepted money for their prophecies, their false prophecies. And if he does not receive, he will not perform, quote-unquote. So if Simon is willing to pay money for the use of the Holy Spirit, which is really messed up, because, think about it, God uses us, we are not supposed to be using God, in the negative sense of that word, using. Using God to build up our reputation, using God to have power over other people. There are many people like this. There are many people in the world using God for their own motives, their own desires. They're not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. They're not humbly serving God with their lives. They're trying to get something by using God. And this is, this is what Peter stands up to. Peter's not about to accept money so that Simon can minister the Holy Spirit to people. Eventually, Simon would be charging for this prayer to receive the Holy Spirit. There are people doing this in the world today. There are poisons in the church all over the globe, including here. So we must examine ourselves. Now, let's look again at Peter's response because Peter kind of explodes here. Peter, Peter kind of seems mean, right? I saw one, one um, loose translation of this response that Peter has in verse 20, where Peter says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. The loose translation was to hell with you and your money. I thought, whoa, I don't know if I can say that in church, but I just did. But, but Peter's response is appropriate. This response reminds me of how Jesus responded to Peter when Peter was trying to stop him from going to the cross. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Strong response, but appropriate. When we find sin in our hearts, we should have a strong response. We should deal with it. We should ask God to get it out, to root it out, to get the root out. Simon says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your hearts. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Just think about these words. Read them again. important because this is the appropriate antidote to the poison in our lives repentance praying to God asking for forgiveness 
And when we do it with a sincere heart, we know, we don't have to doubt, we know that he can free us from all bitterness and any sin that captivates us. He has that much power. He is the almighty. Power above power above power. Unending amounts of power to free people from their sin when they come to him in repentance. You see, this response is harsh because of the dangerous poison that this can bring to the mission of the whole church. If the church becomes a money-making machine for the evangelists and for the ministries behind it, it is poisoning the gospel. It is destroying the free gift of salvation, the free gift of the Holy Spirit that God has so graciously and generously poured out on his people. Don't tell me you don't see this in the world. It's a big one. It's a big one. So big that Peter's response goes on and he says, you have absolutely no part or even a share in this ministry. Because your heart is not right with God. Simon will have no part in the ministry of God's church because his heart is wrong. It's off. The phrases that Paul, Peter uses is the phrase that we, that we use often, in, that we see used often in Scripture. It's about the root. The root, you know, being important in the vine, being important in the branches, being important. It's like we're a growing organism, right? But if the root is wrong, if the root is not in the right soil, if the root is not in the right place, then the fruit is destroyed. Because the root actually produces the fruit, right? Fruit isn't just floating out there defying gravity, right? It's connected eventually down all the way down into the root. We can't see the root till we dig it up, you know. But but it's there. This is what the discernment of the disciples gave them, the ability to see the root. This is the discernment that we need to ask God to give us, especially when examining ourselves. God, show me deep down. Show me me. I had a friend, Susan, who used to work here in the office years ago, and she used to have this prayer, God, show me me. Show me me. Because often we deceive ourselves. And Simon here is probably deceived as well. He's not seeing himself. He's not seeing what what he's actually trying to do here. But these phrases, being full of bitterness and captive by sin, or another translation says, bound in your evil ways, which I like because it kind of shows that the way was evil before Jesus came into Simon's life, and the way is still pulling him in that direction towards that same evil. But those two phrases allude way back again to Deuteronomy when God gave the law. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 17, it says, Make sure no hearts turn away from the Lord our God to go and worship other gods. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. Just from that verse, what is the bitter poison? Hearts that go and worship other gods. Hearts that give their attention to other things. Because those things they think will please them. Those things will help build them up. Those things will make them rich. 
This is a bitter poison. And it's a root. And it has to be examined and it has to be dug up and out of our lives by the power of the Spirit. This is a warning against idolatry. Idolatry is simply having other gods. Idolatry is like a root that grows poison. This is why the word bitterness is used. It's a poison. At its root, idolatry is greed. Colossians 3.15 says that greed is idolatry. So let's remember that, Americans. Money's pretty important in our country, having lots of it and lots of stuff. When have we crossed the line? And when have we moved into an area where we're now we're being driven by greed instead of by worshiping God? You see, the dictionary defines greed as an intense, selfish desire for something, anything really, other than God. That's greed. An intense, selfish desire. It can be money. It can be fame. It can be attention to self. It can be control over other people. I want to control these people. I want to make them do what I want them to do. The list can go on and on. You could come up with a million different things that we could selfishly desire. As believers in Jesus, we can't have it both ways. We can't worship the world. We can't worship ourselves and say we worship Jesus. This is a poison for the church. We're trying to live both ways. Trying to satisfy our selfish desires and trying to serve God. They don't actually fit together. When you choose an idol, it means you've rejected God. And when you choose God, it means you've rejected your idols. That's where freedom happens. Not just choosing God and adding him to your collection of idols, but choosing God and making him your only God, your one, your only, your first love. We can't walk in two directions at the same time. I can walk this way, or I can turn and walk this way, but I can't walk both ways. And often, I think some of the turmoil in our own lives, our spiritual growth, and and some of the struggles that we have is like we're trying to make it work. We're trying to walk in both directions because we like what we see in both directions. But you can't have both. You can have one God, holy God. That's it. If you make two gods, you've now chosen the other. When the Bible speaks of idols, it often talks about turning away from or turning to something. Jonah, Jonah, way back in the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. We love that God loves us. It's like a foundation stone of our faith, right? Jesus loves me. He loves us. We love that. I hope we love that. We love that he loves us. 
Even when we're sinful, he's loved us. Even when we were his enemies, he's loved us. He loves us as his children. He brings us into his, his very throne room. He welcomes us into his presence because he loves us in Jesus. We love that he loves us. But look at what this verse says. When we turn or cling to worthless idols, we have turned away from the love of God. You might be playing some kind of head game that you can have both. But the scriptures are clear. You can't have both. You can either bask in the love of God, trusting him, living as a child of God, free from your past, free from sin, or you can be bound to an idol. It's your choice. It's my choice too. We cannot live both ways. Paul rejoices in the book of Thessalonians because the believers there, he says, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. The Bible also refers to turning away from God as an exchange. In Jeremiah, it says, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. What a terrible exchange that is. Now, let's finish Simon's story. This rebuke from Philip turns, I mean, from Peter, I'm sorry, turns him on his feet. And he pleads with him to pray for him, to pray on his behalf to the Lord. You see, Simon realizes he's captive to Satan that he's entrapped by Satan's authority and has somehow not fully experienced the freedom of Jesus yet. Maybe because he's a baby Christian. We don't know the time frame here. We don't know how long he's heard the gospel. He's maybe still a baby. Babies don't know everything. Babies fall down a lot. Babies need a lot of help. So maybe he hasn't been discipled to really understand what freedom in Christ offers. But Peter has already given him what he needs he needs to repent and he needs to receive the salvation the full salvation that God has given him the new creature in Christ to replace that old bound up bitter Satan controlled person Peter says this is still possible for Simon and Luke who wrote the book He knows that magic can be renounced. In fact, later on, I'm just going to flip over there. You don't need to. But in in chapter 19 of Acts, we hear this exciting testimony of what's taking place here. It says in, in chapter 19, verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought out their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of those scrolls, the total amount came to 50,000 drachmas. It must be a lot because it's recorded for us. I don't know what the equivalent would be in today's dollar, but it must have been a lot because why would they even mention it, right? They were willing to sacrifice money. They were willing to sacrifice their power. They were willing to sacrifice their reputation. They were willing to sacrifice their very livelihood. So they could follow the one true God. 
And people, the question is, are we? Are we trying to have it both ways? I want to keep some of the things from my old life because I like them, but I also want Jesus and all his goodness. I want to mash it together. Guess what? When you mash it together, it's like Play-Doh in your brownies. Yuck. It doesn't work. God wants our whole hearts. So we're going to pause here with the Spirit. We're going to ask Him to examine us. We don't want to point the fingers at each other. That's not where we're at right now. Father God, do I have anything to confess and repent from this morning? Turn away from this morning. If so, by your spirit, show me where I am still attached to idols. I want to do this while it's still possible. I want to do this now. For this is the moment of salvation. This is where we find you in this very moment. Father, I ask you that by the power of your spirit, you would turn me towards you. Set me free in Christ from my past, from the sin that so easily tangles me up and binds me up. I ask my brothers and sisters to pray for me, just as Simon asked Peter to pray for him. Help us to pray for one another that we would see with your eyes that we would discover the things in our lives that are ruining our lives, poisoning our lives, and poisoning our relationships with you and with one another. We want to be holy in your presence. And we can only do this by your grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.